Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead." So this is the reading of God's word. Um, Dave, if I could ask you to just take my volume down slightly because I'm definitely going to get a little bit excited and uh, it might ring a bit loud. There we go. Great. So I'm calling the sermon, How to Not Waste Your Life. So myopia is a medical condition where because of a distortion of the shape of the eye, it causes the light to focus just short of the retina. So it's called nearsightedness, meaning we can see what's close to us, but it's difficult for us to see what's far off. It's from the Greek word myopia, which literally means unable to see far off. And this occurs only once in the New Testament. It's in 2 Peter chapter 1. We are prone to nearsightedness spiritually also. And this text today is a real remedy uh, of of how to cure this. So I want to give you an illustration. Behold. Lovely. Okay. Yes. You'll see why this is actually an appropriate... um, Yes. Okay. Okay, and I'll be going up the door with this now. Okay, so if I'm honest, it's because I didn't have a rope long enough. And it's not because I'm planning to cry, but that might happen as well. Okay, so imagine that this rope uh, goes on forever and ever and ever. It just wraps around the earth millions of times. So it's millions and millions and billions of kilometers Long. It goes on for eternity. And this part is your life. This little segment here. Okay. So this black part is time from when you're born till the societal norm of retirement. Okay. And retirement there is, is in red. Okay. So. What the world says is, you're born, and then you've got to set out on a very particular path. 
and you've got to uh, make lots of compromises and uh, ignore uh, what you could be doing and should be doing. And then you're going to do all of this like you're going to sneak away all the cash that you can. And then when you get to there, you're going to enjoy that last little bit and then you're going to die. Okay. Okay. So, so, so when, a, when a Christian is born and, and God saves them and they spend their whole life for Christ's sake, the world goes, you're an idiot. You, you, you're wasting all of that and you're not going to have that. And then we can say, no, you're an idiot. You're wasting all of that. How you live for this little bit is going to determine what this entire thing looks like. It's not about how you live that bit so that you can have a nice retirement. It's about how you live this whole bit so that you can be in the presence of God forevermore. And the, the way that the demonic deceives us is nearsightedness. It's blurs all of this actually so badly that it just it, it's eclipsed from our daily thinking. When you make your decisions day to day, whatever they are, little decisions, what you're aware to, big, big decisions in your life, are you looking at, oh, how's that going to impact my red bit? Or are you going to say, how is this going to impact my eternity? And that might seem like it has a big weight to it, but actually it should come with a lightness to it. Because it's in making the decisions that relate to eternity that the Holy Spirit gives us power to sacrifice for Jesus Christ. And you see, the reality is, unlike what unbelievers would say, it's appointed unto man once to die and then comes the judgment. So at any point in this little piece, you could just die. You might not get to the red bit. There's no guarantee whatsoever. There's actually no guarantee you make it past the first day of the black bit. So when Paul uses the language and he says, what I suffer for here, I count as a light momentary affliction compared to accruing an eternal weight of glory. That's perspective. That's far-sightedness. That's actually right-sightedness. Spiritually, near-sightedness is blindness. It's what Satan needs us to do is to forget about all of this uh, so that we can go for this little red bit here. But the main point is that all of this is meaningful only when we live with this bit in view. Because if it just ends here, if you just die and go out of existence, literally nothing matters. It doesn't. Because once everyone else has died, there's nothing just there. So if, if you're an atheist, I just don't understand why people continue living. What is the point? There is no point. We have an eternity to look forward to with Jesus Christ. A, a great story that might help to illustrate this is about uh, John Rockefeller. So who knows about the Rockefellers? So John Rockefeller is the richest man in modern history. Um, so we know that uh, Solomon was the richest man ever, and no one else will ever be as rich as him. That's what the Bible tells us. But in modern history, John Rockefeller is the wealthiest man. 
And he made his money through refining oil. At the time where people were going and uh, looking to, to drill for oil, he decided, right, this is going to have big industrial applications and we're going to need to make it usable. So let's refine oil. And at one point he controlled 70% of the refined oil distribution in, in the United States. So his worth when he died was 350 billion US dollars, three times richer than the, than the richest man in the world now, Jeff Bezos. And that's 4.2 trillion rand. Okay, so if he came to South Africa and divided his money up and made billionaires, he could make 4,200 billionaires out of his cash. Okay, uh, it's also the same amount uh, within a couple million dollars as South Africa's current GDP. The total value of everything that we produce in goods and services that was his fortune that he owned. And somebody famously from uh, one of the the financial journals, asked his accountant when John Rockefeller died. He said, how much did he leave behind? And his accountant famously replied, all of it. <laughs> and if we go to Luke uh, chapter 18, and around verse 18. Hey? Right, so 18, 18, okay, so, uh, a, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So he's starting to reveal his heart. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor, honor your father and mother. And he said, all of these things I have kept from my youth. Now, in Jesus, instead of Jesus going, no, you didn't. Because of course he didn't keep all those from his youth. No one has. No one has kept the law. Uh, instead, he asks him another question that reveals his heart. And he, and he says, uh, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Then those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. This is what's amazing. So now this is obviously Jesus addressing an issue around money here. But actually more generally, he's addressing also uh, the issue of any treasures in the heart. Because you know that uh, story about how to trap a monkey with a, you put an apple behind bars and then because it won't let go, it can't get through. And that's literally what the gospel tells us. That if you hold on to that apple, you're going to go to hell. Because you, you cannot get through those bars if that's what you hold on to. And Jesus calls us to let go of whatever our heart has held on to and to lay hold of Christ. So, we're called to give up our life to gain it, right? If you lose your life, you'll, you'll gain it. We're called to pick up our cross. If we cling to anything except for Christ, we will lose our life. So this is not just money, it's comfort, it's pleasure, it's laziness, it's gluttony. But if you love those things, that's where you're going to end up. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's all also going to pass away. And then, you, then you're going to have eternity. 
And where is that eternity going to be? Is it going to be in hell? Or is it going to be with Christ in heaven? And if Christ in heaven, what is it going to look like? What, how much more have you laid down in your life that you may have glorious treasures that you heap up in, in, in heaven? You know, we, we know that there are those who will get there by the skin of their teeth. Um, and, and then there are those who have devoted their whole lives to Christ. They really have laid everything down. And there is glory and there's martyrs who will have a crown for what they have given up their very lives for, for Jesus Christ. And if today you want to do a little test, because remember Paul said something very strongly where he said, you must examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. If you want to know what you love the most, you can tell by looking at what your resources most effortlessly flow to. What do you do with your money? What do you do with your time? What do you do with your thoughts? What do you do with your affections? What do you do with your relationships? What do you do with your connections? What do you do with your assets? What consumes your speech? Is Jesus' Sunday lunchtime conversation after church? Or is he the is the oil of praise on your lips throughout the week. We can profane God's name a great number of ways by the things we do and the things we say about him, but I can tell you one of the greatest profanities against the name of God is to not speak about our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. To not speak about God as a Christian is also to profane his name. Because it's saying it's not worthy of being heralded as the great crowning jewel of the universe the great mighty name of, of Yahweh, our King. And we can't take the wealth that we've built here, uh, the achievements that we mount up, the legacy that we leave. None of that gets through passport control. The customs is pretty difficult at the gate of heaven. Everything will be confiscated, except for what's already there, that which has been built up for Christ. And so that's what our text is about. That's what uh, uh, Paul is getting at. So let's get into... Uh, chapter 3 here, Philippians. Okay, so, Paul's passage here is about righteousness through faith in Christ, right? As believers, we understand that we don't obey the law and create a righteousness of our own, but, our, but through faith, Christ's righteousness is given to us, and that's what he's talking about here. There's many things we could look at. There's many angles uh, to, to work through a text like this. But we're going to focus today specifically on what this implies for our life. And so we're going to look at what Paul says here. The treasures of a wasted life. Paul tells us these things are the treasures of a wasted life. So first, family heritage. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. This only happens if you're a member of a Jewish family. Right? This is, that means that you have lineage right the way back to Adam. The first treasure of a wasted life is family heritage. Also, another thing is not just being uh, a Jew, but also being from the tribe of Benjamin. What did the tribe of Benjamin most famously do in the Old Testament? Gave Israel its first king. What was that king's name? Saul. What was Paul's name before? Yeah. Um, so his lineage is that he may have been named after Israel's first king. So he has quite a family heritage. Now, the second treasure of a wasted life, social status. Hebrew of Hebrews. 
the highest of the lot, the cream of the crop, the most well-regarded, the one held in highest esteem. He's top of the pile, king of the heap, A number one. Third treasure of a wasted life, religious knowledge. He says that he's a Pharisee of Pharisees. Now, this is not in the pejorative way that Jesus used the term. It's in the sense of a Pharisee was a master of the law. There was nothing. They basically had the Torah memorized, a lot of them. They knew it. Whatever was in there, they knew it. Whatever questions there were to be asked, they had the answers. They were the masters. They had, today we would say that they're a master of biblical knowledge. They know, they know the Bible through and through. Fourth treasure of a wasted life. Religious devotions. He says, as for zeal, I persecuted the church. He was the most zealous. Others spoke ill of the new church that was claiming that Jesus was God. He persecuted them. He really was devoted to God's honor. That's what he believed. Religious devotion. The fifth treasure of a wasted life. Morality. He says, as to the law, I was blameless. Meaning everything external that I had to do, I did it. The others couldn't quite cut it. All the external stuff, I did it. I was a good guy. And I want to ask you, what do all these things have in common? Yes, in a sense, but they all could be good. They're not not in and of themselves bad things. God gives people family heritage, social status, religious knowledge, religious devotion, morality. And those things can be good. But what makes them bad is that they are treasures above something else. And now Paul goes and he says he collects all these things together in a heap and he calls them rubbish. Now this word rubbish is a a euphemism. It literally means done. All of these things to him he counts as poop. And... Yeah, he's saying, like, all of these things that I, that I loved, they are the contents of a diaper. Those of you who've been parents, you know what that means. These are the treasures of wasted life. If they're all one big loss, then what is the treasure of a life well spent? Well, Paul goes on to answer that. There is only one treasure of the well spent life. Christ. If your life is to count, Christ must be your highest treasure. Paul goes to say, I want to share in his sufferings. I want to be like him in his death so that I may gain Christ and attain to the resurrection. Everything else in the world, if we piled it all up, all the Jeff Bezoses, all the things that I could own, they must count for nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. And if so, your life will not be a waste. And then all those other things come into right perspective. The focus is correct. And all that God gives us, whether they... Uh, family heritage or wealth or whatever, they can be enjoyed and utilized in the service of God's kingdom. And they can be uh, things that, are, uh, that bring glory to God. So when we think about this, why I call this don't waste your life is because at a, at a top level, we mustn't waste our whole life, obviously. But then at a sub-level, we mustn't waste all the components of our life. So if God has 
saved you and you were on death row, then I would say don't waste your life sentence. If you are a teacher, I would say don't waste your classroom. Yeah. If you are in the bank, I would say don't waste your career. Whatever it is, don't waste it because it's a gift from God. Whatever God has given you, whatever he's called you to, it's a gift from God. It's to be stewarded. It's not to be wasted. That's why Paul says things like, whatever your hands find to do, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God, right? John Piper wrote a a very hectic book that I started reading uh, after he survived a severe cancer, which he thought he was not going to survive. And he wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Cancer. That's how seriously he takes Paul's words, that there is nothing in this life that in God's providence we come through that should be wasted. Even things that are bought as a result of sin and the, and the destruction that the enemy brings, God works together for good for those who are loved and called according to his purpose. All things, not some things, all things. L- births, marriages, deaths, singleness, jobs, Unemployment, whatever it is, God works all things for good. And that's what our confidence is, Christians. That's why we can live a different life. That is why we can live a life that people look upon in the world and they say, what is going on here? How can they count all these things as rubbish? How, must, how much must they value and love what they have chosen in its place? It's a witness. It's part of your testimony to others. Everything's about the glory of God. Being born, getting married, being single, dying. You, each one of you, was made to be a theater in which the glory of God is displayed for your good and for God's glory. That's what God wants to do in your life. Do you believe it? Richard, you're a biological theater of the glory of God. The heavens are a cosmological theater of the glory of God, but you're a biological theater of the glory of God. A crown jewel, one that, how did he, how did he look upon us and say, I will have mercy on them and save them and bring them into my family. He looked upon dung. And said, I will make a diamond. And so, how naturally it should flow for us in our lives that we count everything else as dung to gain the the diamond that is Jesus Christ. There is no one like him. There is nothing like him in the universe. If you're a Christian, you have to know that in your heart. If God's given you a new heart, that is what your heart knows. But the flesh wrestles against the spirit. And we need to put to death the instincts of the flesh that say, it's all about my retirement, it's all about my retirement, it's all about my comfort level, it's all about my, uh, my status, it's about being married, it's about this, it's about that. No, 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 it's about the glory of Jesus Christ. And all the, then the, all the good gifts that he gives us cannot be the instruments of, of our death, but actually bring us joy and life in Jesus Christ. These things are good, but they will kill you if you, if you love them more than Jesus Christ. But if you love Jesus Christ more than these things, they will be a blessing and you can use them to steward whatever God has called you to in his kingdom. Whatever, anything at all. 
Almost everything that we could say about this is, is summed up in Paul's passionate words in, in chapter 1 of Philippians. Where he says, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul said it's far better to go and be with the Lord. But I, he said, I stay here for, for uh, your sake. So do you believe that it is far better to lose your life than to waste it? Do you believe it? If someone looks at your life, will they say that that's what you believe without you saying it? That's the question to ask. And we all have room to grow there. But that, when, we, when we look at the gap between how our lives would look if we really believed this and how we're living right now, that gap is never going to be closed, the side of glory, until we're perfected by Jesus Christ. But the gap will be closing. Right? Sanctification. Loving God. Treasuring God in greater measure until the time where we are glorified with him. And so I want to say to you, if you've got three days left to live, it is possible for you, when you meet the Lord, to look back on your life and say, I have not wasted it, if you live those three days in light of what we're talking about now. So it really doesn't matter if you're going to die at 12 o'clock today or whether you're going to live another 70 years. It does not matter. You need to look to your heart and say, God, would you tell me where these idols are, that by your spirit you can come in and tear them down. And God is a jealous God. You know, the, the reason they sent the, um, the, the ark back to the Israelites is because God kept knocking over the, uh, the false idols. He won't share his glory with another. He's going to knock those idols down. And that's what sanctification is. He's going to break those idols away from your life. So pray that he will do it. If you, if you always say, oh, someone said this to me the other day, oh, God never answers my prayers. I was like, well, maybe you should pray something that God wants you to pray. For example, God, help me to be holy. I guarantee you his answer to that is yes, and I'll begin right now. If you want a prayer answered, pray that God will make you more like Jesus. And he will do it. And then your life will count. It won't be wasted. It'll be meaningful, and it'll be full of joy unspeakable and full of glory. And you know when Jesus said... Uh, We've got to take the, the log or the stick out of our own eye before we take the speck out of someone else's. So he's saying, if you get, so you see the sin in other people, right? You want to, you want to get, you need to get rid of the one, yours, your own sin so that you can see clearly in order to be of aid to them. But he's also saying that speck is small in theirs, but you've got a log in yours. So he's saying we have a lens problem. We, we will see our sin is very small and theirs is very large, but actually theirs might be very small and ours is very large. And I want to suggest to you that we have a similar but in reverse lens problem with the way that we think about uh, how we need to sacrifice our lives. We'll look at other people's lives and say, listen, guys, you're a Christian and yeah, you must give it all up for the sake of the, of the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. But me personally, I can't give up all of these things because I have these obligations, I have these responsibilities, I have these desires and these things I want to accomplish before I die. But you, you should give up your whole life. So we will magnify the problems in, in, in someone else's, in our own life about why we can't give stuff up. But we will say to someone, it's easy. Jesus said, like, you must just count it all as loss. You must get rid of it. And, and so we have this lens problem that works completely the opposite to how it should. 
We should lay down our lives and then, to say, and then say to others, this is what Christ calls us to. Come join me. Come join the church. Let's, let's walk together as people who are dispossessed of our possessions. Okay? Meaning we hold them lightly. They're not ours anyway. They belong to the Lord. We should count them as loss. And Alan was saying in the prayer, prayer meeting, like, you know, we're gathering together here and uh, naming the name of Christ is not going to cost us our lives today. This January of 2019. It's not, it's, not, it's not going to. But there's been times in church history, and there's times now in different locations, where it really will. But as I said to Earl, that's talking about costing your life in the literal, physical sense of dying. But actually, right throughout church history, since the time Jesus proclaimed the gospel, everybody has got the same cost of becoming a, a, a Christian. It is to give up everything for knowing Christ. Because if we haven't done that, we don't know Christ. That's what he says. If we go to Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 onwards, Jesus says some hectic things, guys. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will, for my sake, will find it. And the word here, loves father or mother more than me, it's, it's, not, um, it's not agape, it's phileo. It's... For my driving affections to be. If you love someone more than Jesus Christ, then you're not fit for the kingdom of heaven. He even said when they wanted to, when he called disciples and they, they said, I just want to go and, and bury the dead. He said, let the, bury, let the dead bury their bed, dead. And, and he said, if you put your hand to the plow and look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. That's the seriousness of the clarion call to love Christ that the gospel heralds to us. We have to relinquish the place that those idols occupy in our life and, and seat Christ there instead. Because of this, we can be confident. You know, people are risk-averse, very risk-averse. There's lots of insurance, and everyone is anxious about things all the time because risk is, is scary. But, you know, biblically, risk is right. Biblically, risk is right. Biblical risks are biblically right. <laughs> to, to risk all in your life for the sake of Christ is right. And it's, Jesus isn't our insurance policy. He's our guarantee. He's given us his Holy Spirit as a deposit of the glory to be received in glorification. There is no hedging bets. If we're in Christ, no one can separate us from the love of God. So it's not really a risk when you risk it all as a believer for the sake of Christ. But I tell you what the greatest risk is. Waste your life by cherishing other things more than Christ. Waste your life by not laying these things down. That's the greatest risk. Because you may even have miraculous gifts that you participate in, and then you pitch up before God one day and say, I did all these amazing things. Lord, Lord. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. He only knows the people for whom Christ is the greatest treasure and love of their, of their lives. Christianity is a, is a religion, it's the only true religion, it's a religion of affections. It's the religion where Christ is loved, treasured. 
savored, counted as most precious above all other things. That's what it is to have Christ, is to love him more than anything else. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's just Paul's words. So as we head towards the end now, I think we've made it quite clear that we must not waste our lives. And maybe you sense that we were headed here, but now I'm going to tell you that God wants you to waste your life. Mary had Jesus in her home. Martha was off being busy, doing a whole load of things. But Mary took a pound of expensive ointment that was made from pure nard. And she anointed the feet of Jesus. Okay, this is in John chapter 12. Judas couldn't understand this. He goes, that's nearly a year's worth of wages. Why was this not sold and distributed to the poor? What a good guy. Wow, great guy, cares about the poor. Good guy. But read John chapter 12 verse 6. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And being in charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Judas cared about Judas. Judas didn't care about the poor. Judas thought that money was going to bring him satisfaction, so he took a lying treasure. But Mary laid hold of truth and life himself. Both of them were after the greatest treasure of their heart. There's nothing wrong looking for to lay hold of what you value most. There is nothing wrong with the desire for satisfaction and for joy and happiness. But everything is wrong if that location of that is not Jesus Christ. And that's the difference between Judas and Mary. Mary, so Judas saw the king of the universe sitting before him and said, 30 pieces. That's what he's worth. And it should make us weep. 30 pieces. Mary looked at Jesus and she saw the treasure of the universe, the creator of it, the one of infinite worth and value. And Judas went to hell. And Mary is with her Savior. It wasn't that they both wanted their treasure. It's that Mary wanted the true treasure himself, Jesus Christ. In front of him, you know, the, in John, we, we also told that he's called the pearl of, of, of great price. This is God, God the Son. He wanted to sell the sell the pearls for 30 pieces of silver, sell the pearl for 30 pieces of silver, and Mary just wanted to treasure and worship and adore him. That's the difference. Are you Mary or are you Judas? So I invite you to consider your life and to think of the puddles of perfume that you can make at the feet of Jesus. What can you pour out? I think there is no greater image of worship in the New Testament than her taking what was most valuable to her. That was like a year's wages. 
He didn't have any other thing that's worth that much and to literally waste it on the feet of Jesus. But how can that be a cost when she gains the creator of the heavens and the earth? She gains eternal life. She gains all of that. Who cares about the red if you have Jesus? Let's have the world look upon our, our lives, what we do with our lives, our time, our money, with our relationships, our ambitions, our youth, our age, our wisdom, our work, our retirement, our homes, and how we have poured them out on the feet of Jesus. And let's pray that while they look on with shock, and what I guarantee you will be discussed, at the very best, pity, pray that by God's grace he would give them eyes to see that if we count all these things as loss, then how great indeed must the Jesus we serve be. And I want you to know, to, to make a huge difference in this world, you don't need to know a great number of things. You need to know a small number of great things. You do not have to have fabulous wealth. You do not have to be good looking. You do not have to be married. You do not have to uh, be held in high esteem. You do not have to have a great family heritage. You do not have to have a squeaky clean moral past. What you need is big eternal truths. You need to know Christ. And you need to desire to make him known. And then your life will count. We get this challenge, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? And sometimes it actually doesn't mean that physically we need to give up any particular thing, but we need to give up the place that that thing holds in our heart. That's what this can look like. So the Christian life is serious business. No idolater will enter the kingdom of heaven. Aren't we told that? No idolater. What's an idolater? Anybody who loves something more than they love Jesus. Will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Otherwise, we're back to a works righteousness. Because we're saying like, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't need a... I can uh, meet most of the, the standard. That's not what God requires. God requires perfection. And there's only perfection available in one place the gospel of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ that is imputed to us by grace through faith. And that's what Paul's talking about in, in, in the passage. So what is saddest to me, though, is that there are likely a few people here who really aren't interested in making their lives count. They would like comfortable days, good tea, nice TV. They want uh, comfortable relationships with their family. They don't want to set the cat amongst the pigeons and bring up the name of Christ over dinner. They want uh, a nice amount of money. They want a nice car. They want a nice house. They basically want the American dream in the South African context. Yeah. And, and Jesus, if that's you, if, be, be honest and take time, not just now. You can do it now, but think in the week. If this is you, Jesus has a message for you. If you're lukewarm, I will spit you out. Now, this should be a terror to an unbeliever, masquerading as a believer. Pitching up for church, 
Reading your Bible, going to prayer meetings is not what makes you a believer. Treasuring Christ above all things is what makes you a believer. And if that's you, then you must rejoice because all the riches, the surpassing riches that, are, that exist are yours in Christ. And you will share in them forever and ever and ever and ever and ever with him. And I know that that's most people in this room and so you should be comforted. But if the Holy Spirit used your conscience to just prick against that ego, then you, you must go and you must, you must speak to an elder here. And you must tell them that. Because the reason Paul says examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith is to say, if you're not, you better get in. And if you are, rejoice. All these promises are yes and amen for you. If you're in Christ. And it's a joy to me that Almost everyone in this room probably is. But there may well be somebody who wants to keep their perfume in the bottle. And then they're going to die with a full bottle of perfume. And an eternity full of wrath. Instead of pouring out what God has given you now, he will pour out on you what you deserve. Right? But for believers, that... We just want to crack that jar open and we want to go to Jesus' feet and say, you are worthy of it all. For from you are all things and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. That's the heart cry of the believer. So, on judgment day, let us be those who, who, who look in the Savior and look our Savior in the face and say, see the puddles of what I poured out for you and receive your eternal reward with him. Let Jesus be your highest and greatest treasure forevermore. Brothers and sisters, let's pray. Oh, God, we thank you for the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ the righteousness that comes to us by grace and faith. Lord, you're our treasure. Let us have the, have the strength to hold you up as the King, the Lord, as Alan said earlier, the Lord of our life, the Lord of all areas of our life, that people can look upon it and see a Jesus Christ being exalted. And I just pray for all the believers here today, Lord, that you will comfort them through this message. Because this message is the best news for believers and for unbelievers. If you're an unbeliever, this is what you can have. And if you're a believer, this is what you do have. And we ask that your Holy Spirit will show us the ways in which we can continue to make our lives count in an increasing measure for the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. I pray that there will be divine energy and strength and power given to us today to just burst out of these doors and to plan how we can not waste our life and how we can waste our life for Jesus. We pray for wisdom and discernment for that, that you would be glorified greatly in our lives and that in the letting go of these things which we think that we are holding on to them, but actually they are holding on to us. We want to be held on to only 
by Jesus Christ. We pray that we'll burst forth from here full of joy, looking for the ways in which we can experience this in our lives. And we thank you that you've sent your spirit to do that for us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.